0: what is going on everybody welcome back to another episode of the health mastery show today i have on with me jared feather from a renaissance periodization and we talk all about advanced hypertrophy so training for hypertrophy for advanced lifters so a lot of the research that we see being published online is typically in untrained lifters so people who don't lift whatsoever and then when they are trained lifters it's usually like people who are training for 1 to 2 years and that might not even be like body bodybuilding style training there's just somebody who maybe is being consistent in the gym so when we're thinking about advanced lifters like people who have been lifting for you know 5 years plus and are consistent with it we don't really have that much data or research on those people so we kind of talk a little bit around that topic today and it was a really enjoyable conversation before we get into it today i just want to mention the coaching that i'm offering i've been offering this for quite a while now but just want to slip it in here if you go to healthmastery.co, that's dot co you can find out more details about that there but without further ado let's get into this episode with jared feather yeah appreciate it man for for coming on um of course man it's a uh, good good to chat i think the last time we chatted uh i met you at the mayhem back yeah it might have America. been sacramento right <laughs> that was a, that was a pretty much a year ago yeah, it so. was uh, almost literally a year ago. Yeah, that, yeah, that's very close. That's yeah, it's pretty cool. Um ha- have you been since then? What what have you been up to? Oh, not bad. Um i enrolled in um uh UT at
1: UTSA in San Antonio for a semester to knock out some basically prerequisition courses for the didactic curriculum in dietetics. Nice. And then applied to UNLV out here in Vegas uh, for the actual RD program. Because once you start an RD program somewhere, you have to finish in that location. And uh, Mike and Crystal moved out here because Crystal's doing her fellowship for sports medicine. And they were like, you want to move with us? And I was like, yeah, you know what, fuck it, let's go.
0: <laughs> so so you've moved to Vegas pretty recently. You're, yeah, literally, uh, and his wife?
1: about four, four days ago, I think, four or five days ago. But yeah, nice. this is, uh, Vegas is a paradise, man. I didn't realize I'd like it as much as I do. Uh, people think of vegas think of like the strip and like kind of like trashy behavior but like it's been it's pristine just amazing weather it's it's absolutely fucking gorgeous i love it
0: yeah i've i've only been to vegas once that was the start of last year and and it was like a basically just a piss up you know well. Well, that, that's what I experienced of it, where it just we we just like stayed awake. I don't even know what time it was. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> like the strip, you know, like strip yeah, strip
1: yeah. behavior and and just like Sin City. That's what people think about with Vegas. But dude, you you make, you make it what it is uh, out here. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. And like our schedules are pretty regimented. Like we train and we get some yeah. work done. So right now it's you know about noon my time getting work done, and uh, then we go train again because we do two days, and then after that we just come back and. uh work some more until bedtime
0: <laughs> yeah is it is it still lockdown there and like uh gyms and stuff you know
1: it's like partial lockdown the, g- the gyms are open
0: okay g- yeah, gyms are perfect. open
1: restaurants are you know half capacity quote unquote yeah. <laughs> uh, it's 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 awesome it's great out here yeah
0: you'll probably end up going to the then right so usually it's september but Absolutely. i think it's december december now so that sucks but
1: yeah we'll probably we'll probably go for sure we went last year and uh sat in the Trifecta like booth and stuff because uh, RP is partial. Uh, I believe partial owner or something like that. Uh, some sort of cooperation with Trifecta that RP has. So Greg invited us out and uh, put us up in a booth and all that fun stuff.
0: Nice. So so before we kind of get into the, the meat of the conversation, for those who don't know who you are, would you mind just introducing who you are, what you do, etc.? Yeah, no issue. Um,
1: my name is Jared Feather. I am the Uh, I'm a sports scientist for uh, Renaissance Periodization. I'm basically their head prep coach for any of the prep clients that we do, as well as co-author for some books. Uh, Currently in app development with them as well, and we do some seminars for us, sports science and uh, just things of that nature. We fly around the world and do these seminars. People want us to talk about hypertrophy and dieting and sometimes the psychology of stuff. We have people who work at RP who will – we have a neuroscientist who even does some – behavioral analysis type of talks and recovery talks, things of that nature. But yeah, I got my master's degree in, at UCM in Missouri, which is where I grew up. Um, my master's is in exercise physiology. And then, like I said, I'm currently get enrolled in that didactic curriculum to get my RD before I move into a PhD for sports phys.
0: Nice. So, so that's like a kind of a pre-introduction course to qualify for it, is it? <laughs>
1: um the rd yeah the so the rd is the registered dietitian
0: no um, no but what you're doing right now the what are you doing right now for that if it doesn't begin yet
1: yeah so i took those courses at, at utsa um right. they were prerequisite courses just to knock because with even with the master's degree level knowledge that you have in one field
0: mm. doesn't
1: mean you took all the prereq courses for another field so nutrition yeah. and 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 training are very closely related but at the same at the same rate, you don't always take the same courses. So of I had course, to take a yeah. couple to get into the didactic curriculum to, in the full swing of it all.
0: Yeah, got you. And you, you talked about two day training, and it kind of leads us into the what we want to talk about: it's training sure. for advanced advanced bodybuilders. Um, you're actually a bodybuilder yourself, right? So you won a pro natural card uh, right a while ago, right? Technically, you're still a pro natural bodybuilder, but I don't really uh, no, know. I don't know. No, so.
1: That- no, that is, that's, it doesn't work that way technically. Like you were to renew membership uh, oh, yeah, each year, you. and when you renew membership, then you are still pro, right? So uh, the second I crossed over, I stopped renewing my membership. <laughs> I was like, yo, I'm not gonna be competing here anymore, guys. Uh, uh, I kind of checked all my the checklist off and proved to myself that I was, you know, good enough at bodybuilding that I could go pretty far uh, in the NPC. And also smart enough that I can hopefully infiltrate some of the bro science and and pass along some of the knowledge that the uh, natural lifters tend to have a little more than the uh, enhanced side. So yeah, sort of just you know infiltrating that scene and uh, what that takes is being part of that scene. So once I did that, I stopped uh, renewing the natural pro card. But yeah, I won a natural pro show and I think I was a pretty good natural bodybuilder. Uh, I was about one. We were about similar size. How tall are you?
0: Uh, five eleven. Five eleven here, and you were what on stage? You were you were the heavyweight guy, right? No, no, one seventy four five on stage. Okay, yeah,
1: right. yeah. So I was I was you know five ten one eighty nine on stage. So yeah, that's
0: pretty pretty big. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was not too bad, you know. I had to go against the the big guys though, so that was that was tough. Yeah,
0: but but they're probably like ten years older than you or something like that at least. For sure, yeah, they definitely yeah. were. But it, it was a good time. Yeah. I actually asked uh, like I used to follow like Alberto and and a few like Paul Ravella on stuff on the Yeah, the yeah, forums. Great like, Yeah, I used to follow them on the forums like 2009 before that like just on bodybuilding.com. I remember they used to post like real kind of what was like kind of scientific content then like what what I would have considered at the time. And uh, I asked them like why do you think that like it's the natural guys that Are like more scientific or they put more thought into that kind of thing where the Mm -hmm. the 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 top say ifbb pros they're they're more bro and his opinion was that like just because when you're a natural you kind of got to squeeze everything out of it where the ifbb pros it's you know a lot of them are just they got such good genetics that they you know pretty much anything kind of works and i don't know what your thoughts are on that and if if the top ifbb pros if they were like natural they would actually be the top natural pros in my opinion I actually think that's true I think that I think whoever is like really good naturally the they end up being kind of they, they see that they have a, a career in bodybuilding and obviously that's not really something that's going to happen in, in natural bodybuilding What are your thoughts on that
1: well my thoughts are fortunately uh natural bodybuilding is becoming more and more prominent so a lot of guys will stop crossing over uh, to be honest I wouldn't have if uh, there weren't so many other pioneers in natural bodybuilding already, but there's so little pioneers uh, sort of pushing the scientific movement onto the enhanced realm that I was like that's my – I think that's one of my callings. It's I I think my genetics are very, very good, and I recognize that. Just like you said, these these natural guys, they're like well, the pinnacle of genetics, and uh, they decide to go enhanced. Um, generally, people, when they start really early and they get a lot of gains um, – they're getting big in spite of what they're doing, and uh, it's very easy for one to become uh, sort of egotistical about that and just to think that and you know everything. And when that happens, you know… You get the old guys in the gym sort of chatting in your ear about bodybuilding, and natural bodybuilding wasn't super prominent, so a lot of these guys were like, "Yeah, bodybuilding, what's that?" And they're like, "Man, you got a good look. You should come, come try this this little substance here. Put a little bit of this in your into your uh, supplementation." And uh, you know, a lot of that is is legitimately just indoctrination by the older guys who did the same thing, and it's I saw it a lot in San Antonio. It really sucked because, dude, the whole, I'm almost. It's, it sounds really weird to say this, but it's it's almost like I'm giving up a certain part of myself to tell people not to to do that to the, themselves.
0: Yeah, you're uh, a martyr, right? You're a martyr.
1: For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I try to, you know, it's not just to be like egotistical about it. But it's like I'm willing to do this to tell more people not to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and if people are going to do this, because I think it's fine if you do, obviously. Uh, do it right, do it smart, and that's the yeah. other thing. I'm trying to push it to where it's smart um, yeah. so yeah no, to it. that it's de it's definitely uh the kids that saw a lot of games right out of the gate and they had the people right people around them, I'm sure to say the wrong people um. And, you know, just the indoctrination occurred, and they started going and going. There are a lot of guys that did it really well. You know, you had Kai Green, who was natural, got his IFBB Pro card as a natural. You can see some of those picks. Really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, half the people yeah. don't believe that, but it's, it's the truth. This guy grew up poor. He was in, in and out of homes. When do you expect this guy to find steroids at? <laughs> like, yeah. He was just getting big, training hard, enjoying his training, and then – you know, you have the the West African genetics, and there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, and Ronnie yeah.
0: as well, right? He, he the same. He won his yeah, pro card it, naturally. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's crazy. Like when when I think about it, and uh, you know, like it's not like I'm I'm not against steroids, morally or anything like that. They're they're not illegal yeah. where I am. But um, I know that the reason I don't want to take them or at least one of the reasons is because I like, I wouldn't do any better as a, a bodybuilder. I'd probably do worse as a bodybuilder enhanced because there's just a bigger pool of people. I I'm, I did, I'm doing relatively well as a natural because the pool the pool is smaller. I'm willing to admit that, you know, I don't have the genetics unless I had some form of a crazy re- reaction, like Kevin Lerone response to, to gear then, mm. you know, but, but that's very, very unlikely. Um, But yeah, moving on. So, when it comes to training, all right. so there's a, there's a lot of research and the whole community itself, and even the, the wider fitness community is kind of moving towards science. Uh, yeah, like you said, PTs, they, they talk a lot, like high level science. Um, and, and a lot of the research is on. Like you know, untrained subjects, or when we talk about trained subjects, we're talking about maybe training a year or two years. But there's pretty much nothing that has a gr- big group sample size of, of of bodybuilders or people who are even training consistently for say more than a couple of years, or, or at sure. least there's, there's very few studies on that. I actually spoke to Brad Schoenfeld uh, last week, and um, so so what are your kind of thoughts, I suppose, about about that, and then how how training for an advanced lifter would differ than somebody who was say um you know a, a newer lifter or an intermediate lifter and and how would you uh, mold some of the science or some of the the research that's coming out and maybe take more of a, a bro approach or i'm just i'm when i say bro approach i mean that there's just no science to to, to validate that yet what sure what are your thoughts? sure
1: um so a lot of the conclusions that we come to are this is where i really kind of get irritated with um the evidence-based community, because they take evidence-based as, uh, solely paper data statistic-based instead of evidence-based, and it's like, you can, okay, that's fine, we, we have these studies, and they're and they're great, but there are people like myself who dedicated a lot of time to school that learned physiological realities that are in line with sports science, exercise science, etc., right? Um... Whenever we take into consideration physiological realities, so like uh, over long periods of time with negative feedback loops, um, just uh, general adaptation syndrome, things of of this nature, it's like clearly in sports we have a lot of things figured out. So applying sports science to exercise science… Um, is probably a pretty good thing uh I, I i'm unsure why uh certain things for one fitness characteristic would be completely just declined and null and void to another fitness characteristic it should hey man, be taken i, just, I lost
0: t- you there oh shit. Still gone i lost you there man uh, i don't know if you can hear me but you I dropped now. off just after you said you uh dedicated time to uh, school
1: um can you still hear me hopefully you can hear me
0: yeah, yeah, perfect. Okay.
1: Hopefully it doesn't happen again. Um yeah, so there are people like myself who dedicate them time to school, um, learning just these physiological realities that in line with uh you know exercise science, sports science, how these things interact, and to uh you know, ask for data on concepts that we fully understand physiologically. It's just like okay, but you didn't use this for advanced people, and it's like, listen, negative feedback loops work like this. So that means that you know, as you get more advanced, you probably respond less to the same stimuli, yada, yada, yada. So you just put these conjectures on this on these physiological realities and, uh, you know, more often than not, the data has to catch up. But that doesn't mean we don't put these conjectures and, and take them into consideration.
0: Sure, I got you. So, you know, so the, the current research that we have is like a lot of these advanced training techniques don't necessarily – work or at least they not that they don't work but they don't have any additional benefits so like drop sets supersets intensity techniques how do you Mm. start to work some of these things into your training and and obviously you split up your training into two days i'd like to know more about that but when we're we're looking at the kind of volume landmarks or whatever people kind of talk about the 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 meta-analysis by brad schoenfeld they're talking 10 to 20 sets i don't Mm. suspect you're doing like you know a couple sets in the morning and even perhaps you're getting quite up there in the volume
1: Uh, Sure. So, to address the uh, first part of the question, um, the intensity techniques and things of that nature, uh, I'm fairly certain that the um, sequestration of metabolites is actually being shown to have its own uh, specific benefit for hypertrophy. So, I am unsure that that that's actually correct, that it's a bad thing or that it doesn't work. Uh, So, you know, we pretty well understand these mechanisms of hypertrophy and really the only thing that we can that we're coming the closest to ruling out is that damage causes any sort of growth you know Um, i don't think we're coming close to saying that metabolites don't cause growth you can't really have one of these things without the other uh if you have a lot of tension at the fiber level a lot of metabolites are usually sequestered um because there's research to show that uh sequestering these metabolites does have this sort of independent response it might be a good idea during training especially during Periods in time when you have been training for a long time, and these processes of uh, anabolism and catabolism sort of shift in different directions, and you might need to push the volume a little higher. Uh, I think there's there's a there's plenty out there to to support that this is a good idea. So the um,
0: metabolites on that is, is it that the metabolites cause. Uh, higher fatigue, and then that that in essence then increases mechanical tension because they're re- recruiting more motor units. Or is there an independent uh, effect of increasing metabolites? So, for example, blood. Flow yeah, I believe there's just training. an ind- Yeah, I believe
1: there's just an independent effect. Exactly. So look at all the research on blood flow restriction training. There's an independent effect of uh, so another pathway of hypertrophy that occurs. Uh, the physiological mechanisms behind that, I you, you know, Brad Schoenfeld will be a great person to talk to about that. Um, and re- his book probably actually says some things about that. Uh, what is exactly uh, uh, signaled to, to cause this cascading effect for hypertrophy? But yeah, it's definitely been shown. Um, I can touch on the two-day thing now if you'd like. Uh, sure, if yeah. you want to be more yeah. specific with your question, I can. We can dive into some of the details.
0: No, go ahead, please. Uh, we'll we'll go on from there.
1: Yeah, so you said something about like doing two sets in the morning, two sets at night or whatever. Uh, yeah, so the setup is – I just said we did an entire podcast about this on Steve Hall's channel. So I'll try not to do too much overlap there and people can go check that out. Um, but basically for the most part, doing your uh, primary musculature. So if you're going to do push that day, then I would do like chest, a little bit of front delt work because the pressing – hits the front delts, obviously, in the a.m. and in the p.m., I would have whatever frequency of lateral delts, biceps, and triceps I'm doing that mesocycle, I would uh, sprinkle that stuff in. So if I'm doing you know, three or four times a week of lateral delts, biceps, then I would probably put that after my pull and push sessions uh, in the p.m. and then have legs for its own day. Sometimes they don't have legs for its own day. I train generally anywhere from 10 to 11 sessions a week, um, depending where I'm at. The final massing, final cutting, uh, mesocycles of the training block are generally like 11 sessions. So, you know, going in, doing like, uh, two or two, three exercises in the morning of, let's say, uh, horizontal push with like a a vertical push and then going later at night and doing a couple sets of lateral raises, a couple sets of curls, a couple sets of uh, triceps to finish off the pushing session. And then you can sprinkle in the forearms, the traps, the abs, yada, yada, these smaller musculatures, you can also sprinkle that stuff in in the PM, just so that it's not like a you don't feel like it's a waste of time. Um, in the podcast, we definitely emphasize very heavily that two-day training isn't for everyone. If you are having concerns about schedule conflict, probably not even worth it to you. Um, and it's definitely an interesting thing to check out.
0: Yeah. And is it purely just for recovery reasons or for time reasons that you spit it out or just to be more fresh? Um, or, yeah. Or so whenever any-
1: you, when you try to train a bunch of muscles in the same session, obviously the latter half of the training session can become uh, somewhat less effective in in a sense that you you use less weight or the uh, fibers are pretty fatigued or you're just pretty fatigued in general systemically. So it's just kind of, less uh effective work and it can you can sometimes dip into that junk volume range so whenever you split these up by you know four to six to eight hours or whatever you want to do you can go into the gym a little more fresh and uh intensity might be able to be used a little little bit more intensity too because you're not super fried from like you know six sets of uh, whatever pressing exercises you did and then try to go do triceps and your triceps are just kind of fucked
0: yeah Uh, and then I know that Or um I spoke to Mike about this a couple of months ago in terms of increasing volume across a mesocycle or a couple of weeks of training. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on that? I know there's been some there's some other th- thoughts or you know, within the, the fitness industry some pretty well regarded people like, like Greg Knuckles or or uh, Eric Helms, etc. they 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 perhaps don't necessarily think it's the Maybe the best idea in terms of being able to do more volume may just indicate that you're uh, better at doing more volume. What are your, How do you set up your, your training volume or how would you set it up for somebody who's advanced?
1: Yeah, so we just uh, put out an article on this. Um, there was sort of a – we published a paper. There was a rebuttal. We rebuttaled back and then there was an article written by – uh, Eric and, and the guys, and then now we just wrote one and put it out as well. So uh, to be honest, this is something that needs to be hashed out further, and I think that getting like a roundtable on here would be a really good idea for the people. But for now, I can just sort of link you to what that article is that we wrote, and you guys can kind of come up with if it's a good idea for yourselves. Um, but it's the expert advice. It's in defense of set increases, increases within a hypertrophy mesocycle. Um, on the Renaissance Periodization website. But basically for an advanced guy, because you asked, the MEV to MRV range changes, so the, the shifts in sets across the MESA cycle might actually be a little uh, a little less dramatic. Uh, MEV to MRV, because your minimum, of like I said, with these negative feedback loops earlier, um, it might take more as an advanced guy to grow. Uh, more volume than it did... Before. So, your minimum effective volume before, where you're a beginner, it might have been like, you know, two sets right when you started, then you become intermediate, and it's like, you know, six sets to start. But then, whenever you're an advanced guy, well, six sets isn't doing shit when you're starting off. So, that MR- MEV to MRV range definitely shifts, and that's probably the biggest uh, factor with an advanced athlete. It's just their shifts in volumes come more from uh, rep increases. Um, potentially load increases and then uh set increases when we can
0: Gotcha. but on on a more micro scale across a a mesocycle block does that translate into needing to increase your uh, whatever stimulus to to keep to keep the same stimulus you need to increase the number of sets throughout the the block i'm sure you probably addressed this in the article
1: oh absolutely very (laughs) in-depth um i think i think it's definitely a good idea yeah i think that uh the fitness fatigue paradigm, uh, fatigue is masking performance so much that if you're trying to wait for these uh, performance increases in load, you're uh, kind of shooting in the dark and it's you're not proactively sort of adding these sets so that way you are actually achieving some sort of new stimuli. And uh, because the fatigue is going to mask performance so much, by the end of the mess cycle, if you only try to increase load, you're more than likely just never going to increase load because of the fatigue. So it's like... You almost have to have some sort of proactive increase in your volume.
0: Mm, yeah, that that uh, that makes sense, and obviously I'll check the article out. But so if you were setting up a say a, a macro cycle, like a I don't know a six month block or a, or a four month block for somebody who's trying to mass, trying to gain, trying to gain a muscle, and they're an advanced lifter how would you initially set that up? Let's say they, let's say they couldn't train twice a week. There's probably a lot of people who or twice a day. There's probably a lot of people who, unless they have work for themselves or whatever, can probably train twice a day. Um, so, so how would you kind of go about that? Would you set up certain phases where you're doing more intensity techniques like we talked about using some maybe blood flow restriction or, mm-hmm. or shorter rest periods? Right.
1: Um, so it really depends. First, I'm going to find this client from Mesocycle cycle to Mesocycle, cycle. I'm going to find their performance, uh, or their, their volume landmarks via their performance and how, how they're doing with certain exercises. Over the course of six months, that's quite quite a time frame for someone to just be straight massing. So I would never put someone uh, through a six-month just straight mass. That's first and foremost as far as my periodization would go for a client. I think there's just uh, too much adaptive resistance that builds up that way, and the anabolic-catabolic processes shift downward. Like I said, again, uh, we, we realize physiological realities, and we apply these to sports science, and sports science more than likely applies to hypertrophy training as well. Uh, there isn't really any convincing evidence that it wouldn't. I don't understand why it wouldn't um so
0: but figure- just just on that topic on that point uh, a lot of i suppose in, in the natural bodybuilding realm especially as you get more advanced it's so gaining muscle is so gets so slow that sure. typically you'll see advocates of like a year-long uh, bulk or t- a two-year-long phase in, in a surplus without, without any cuts unless they're necessary. And what kind of anabolic resistance do we see or or, or, or slowing down of, of muscle? I'd, I'd love to hear your – slowing down of muscle gain. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that is actually taken out of context. Uh, when people say like – I'm going to be massing for a year. They don't generally mean they're literally massing for a year. Uh, When you look at a coach, when he breaks it down, he's actually like throwing in these maintenance periods, resensitization periods, maybe many cuts. Maybe there's a small diet thrown in the middle, even if they're not doing like maintenance periods first or whatever. So I don't think I actually know anybody who would literally just say be hypercaloric for an entire year. Uh, Not only are you going to become resistant to the training, you become resistant to the diet, Uh, P-ratio alteration. So like we wrote about this in the mini-cut manual, uh, you're going to just increase your body fat the whole time, and then you're going to be 20% body fat. And uh, the amount of nutrients that are going to go to fat as opposed to building muscle probably is going to decrease. So it might benefit you to throw in these mini-cuts or some sort of resynthetization period so that way you can become less uh, anabolic-resistant. To the training and dieting stimuli so i think that they're definitely good ideas to uh
0: yeah to throw yeah, into I, the periodization I, scheme yeah i mean w- with advanced bodybuilders who are like extremely advanced they're, they're not sure most of them aren't gaining like literally gaining uh, uh, scale weight for a full year but mm. it's they interesting
1: don't gain, they don't gain scale weight
0: They're not like gaining for a full year, right? So they, like you said, when I'm saying a massive phase, yeah. So they're not gaining like forty pounds of of weight in a year. But what's interesting is is your thoughts on that anabolic resistance? I'd always thought that the P ratio or the the fat to muscle gain ratio only, especially in naturals, only actually starts to become more negative the leaner you get. So unless you're getting to obese levels where you have like say insulin sensitivity issues, but but if you think about, like, American football players or sumo wrestlers, right. those guys are fucking huge. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's just an interesting uh, thought that I, I suppose it le- leads me to, to look into more research myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if you had the mini cut manual, we definitely uh, chat about the P-ratio and its context in higher body fats and, and the worsening of the P-ratio. And we have the uh, references are definitely at the end of the chapter
0: nice you're just going yeah, to sell me everything for Morphe here on this podcast
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's tough because it's like uh, I, nah I, I get would, you. I, I, get would you. I would I would prefer to, to to lead you to a free source or podcast that we've done over this but I'm unsure that we have so I think a, a mini cut podcast is actually something that uh, Steve Hall wants us to do um, and then yeah a lot of these are like you know there's all this information's out there for free too, podcasts, et cetera. But I, I, it'd be t- tough for me to sit here and say episode one oh six on uh, yeah, who yeah. so and so's podcast with so and so. They said blah blah blah. So it's like you know you can just search around, type in the things that you're curious about into and, and Google or YouTube or whatever, and generally you'll find something because people put like uh, annotations and they'll say this is the at this minute we talk about this and this. So that generally pops up in a YouTube or Google search because it's right there uh, in the yeah. information section. So
0: yeah. So to go back to our topic of the, the massing phase. So h- how long would you usually, would you do like a 16 week block with somebody and h- how would you set that up?
1: Yeah, generally. So, uh, the paradigms are, are never really, for, especially for an advanced guy because advanced guys are generally the bigger, stronger people. Um, I wouldn't really push them much past the five to one paradigm of training, um, uh, because we do these set increases and we do try to reach that MRV for the, su- uh, super compensation, which has some research that's coming out to support it pretty well. Um, once we, we get there, we can't continue training, obviously, because they're at their MRV. It would be terrible idea to try to keep training. You literally can't even recover anymore, and all your resources are going to recovery. They're not going to muscle growth until the deload. So uh, running like a 4-to-1, 5-to-1 paradigm with a, uh, an advanced athlete and then doing that until you know 16-to-20-week mark, um, by that time well, you're going to run. What r- do you
0: mean by that? I don't know what you mean by a 4-to-1 paradigm.
1: Oh, sorry. So that's uh, paradigm means like a, an increase in volume and a deload. So oh, okay, the exactly. four is like the four weeks of increasing volume. Yeah, the yeah. one is a deload per, um, period.
0: Okay, so like a, a five-week mesocycle block with the deload.
1: Right. Correct. Project. So a five-week yeah. mesocycle would be a four-to-one paradigm. Six-week mesocycle is a five-to-one paradigm,
0: etc. Cetera, et cetera. And yeah, and yeah. how do you work out their 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 minimum effective volumes? I know that you guys use like pump and recovery but it, or yeah, like yeah. pump but but if uh fatigue is masking your 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 ability to progress or your well, pro- progression, how do you how do you track performance cuz if somebody does like an amrap or something like that, their sure. performance might be down.
1: Yeah, not in the beginning. So we're starting off the mesocycle fresh off of a deload. So measuring those things is is very easy actually. Yeah. Um, and then you just, from there, that's why we like the set increases because from there you can start increasing up to, uh, their maximum adaptive and it's that value shifting up, up, up. And then you get to a point where you've, uh, increased enough to where it's probably time for a deload. And there you go. You deload. So to measure MEVs, MRVs for clients, depends if they're new or not. if they're not, then I would, first I would check what they've been doing. They tell me, they tell me a little bit of information about it, um, and then next I would check – because I'm not just going to take that at face value. I also check technique um, if this is a new client. So they're like, yeah, I was doing like 30 sets per body part per week. I'm all right. Let's 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 look into this a little further, man. Um, yeah. Even advanced guys do this, man. I've, I've run into advanced guys that they've quote-unquote trained. I'm going to call it working out. They've worked out for 20 years and you go do a session with them and it's just like their technique – it's like I don't know how you're feeling it in the muscle at all. You're like a quarter squat or like you're doing this or that, and I'm like, what are your injuries like? They're like, I don't have injuries. I'm like, okay, so what are you doing? Um, So you can really cut down um, somebody's training quite a bit, and generally when I get a new client, I am cutting down their training quite a bit because most people are training with too much volume or just enough volume for the range of motion they're doing, but they could get more out of more range of motion, and uh, you fix that. So yeah. Starting off with averages is fine with a new client. So if we say like, you know, there's a six set average of MEV or or yeah, MEV for like some muscle group, then we could start them there ish. I could look at data across clients. I have uh some files like that where this guy okay, so I take all my clients that are like, you know, six two, six three, I put them here. Um and this is how they all felt about it, and there now you have an average for that that height group for like quads, let's say, because they have more range of motion anyway. I mean it just really depends. There's multiple ways to go about it, but I I generally would just start from averages that we suggest at RP if I don't have previous information about their training and dieting. But once you do get their averages, when you start a massing block, their massing block average is obviously – or their massing block MEV because you have their information now is obviously going to be less than their dieting because when you diet, it takes more to hold on to tissue, so your MEV actually rises a little bit. So we move into this massing period. Hopefully you can still hear me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: okay. So we move into this massing period, and we start them off at their you know, hypercaloric MEV. Uh, and We go up and up and up uh, to where we're uh, roughly toward their MRV. We generally, it's like Sometimes you don't even get there. You get like 90% there. And it's like, let's take a deload now because they're like, oh, I'm feeling this and that. There's a twinge here, blah, blah. And the more advanced you get, the more those you have. Uh, so it's like, okay, it's time for a deload. Let's do a deload, and then we'll start over. Uh, what I'll do is for the next block, we'll run another four to one, five to one, let's say paradigm. And I look at the, um, all of the information they gave me, like you said earlier, pump, uh, fatigue, uh, soreness post-session and the performance on the exercises. And we'll keep some of those same variations in for the next massing block, because if they're doing very well and the performance is good, they're not falling out of rep ranges, uh you c- could keep that exercise in if they're really liking it. If not, you can make variations. So then you can just make slight variations in grip or width or you know, new bar, easy bar on hand rows versus barbell rows, things of that nature. Um, and then you progress in a similar manner. You drop back down MEV because you just came off a of D load and D load uh, has this, this small resensitization period where you your MEV comes back down basically, and you yeah. start them off again and you go back up. And then, I'm
0: interested why you guys use soreness if uh, if if we if we're kind of starting to understand that soreness isn't necessarily an indicator of well
1: so, so soreness is a proxy for how fucked up you are and if you if we did too much
0: yeah <laughs>
1: because that's, that's going to interfere with growth so that's actually it's the opposite uh, way of thinking about it it's like how sore were you after this session and they're like a fucking ten I'm like okay well we're definitely going to stick with two sets next week right Yeah. that makes sense yeah yeah. Yeah, so it's not soreness for growth. It's soreness for what performance is going to be like this next week because if you're – if you try to start it, let's say you start it like an MAV, which is what a lot of guys try to advocate for, I can assure you that if you start an MAV, you're going to be way too fucking sore in every muscle to train the next week. Yeah, so
0: it's oh, like, no. yeah I get yeah.
1: You. It's like okay, so now we have to save these sets, and you're not going to get as much out of it because we could have since we just deloaded trained at MEV and actually got stuff out of it, so it's like mm. you know you probably want to do these set increases that way, but uh then a the final massing block yeah definitely you could another five to one let's say or four to one you uh can throw some intensity techniques in the in the end and uh and you can keep these in in every muscle cycle too if you just like them, but I think that this is one thing that like uh with physiologic realities that be um, someone's going to be like, where's the study? And I'm just going to be like, well, I learned about this stuff, you know, through 10 years of school. Uh, with, with intensity techniques um, and sequestration of metabolites, if you do it all the time, there's this, like, again, negative feedback loop downregulation of this process uh, due to, like, angiogenesis, uh, fiber type shifting, things of that nature. And I think that it's probably a bad idea to keep it in all the time. So I do – I generally throw them in um, – toward the end of of an entire block. So a uh, block is multiple method cycles of the same goal. So yeah. like the final massing block or final cutting block for a show, especially like during contest prep when obviously load is going to be very hard to come by and now you have to get the volume in somehow.
0: Yeah, I, I used it quite a lot actually With uh, at the end of my prep because you're just too fucked up to do too Absolutely. heavy and you can't get yep. a pump like, regardless of what you do um mm-hmm. but but i use it with with some clients like you said at the, towards the end of say a four-week block in the end in the last last week of that mesocycle i'll, I'll throw in some sets like uh failure training and also some like intensity techniques like drop sets or, or, or sure I, yeah I, I, I have no idea if they're are they actually making a difference but i think you know they're, they're not they're not at least harming them especially this load coming up right
1: yeah, right. So then you push them into that uh, sort of supercompensation period uh, during the deload. So you're just basically taking them at beyond MRV, and then now you're going to deload, and all that uh, all the nutrients are going to muscle growth instead of recovery because you're not pushing it another week after that. And there you go.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting point that you mentioned about the the form and and, and reducing volume. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people uh that say like don't really understand exercise science and me i don't really understand it that well i've read brad's books and chris Beards right, and right. stuff. you know but I'm, it, not, but I'm not
1: it, like an expert in, in, in and yeah. and muscle fizz or anything i just you know i have a master, degrees in, master degree yeah. in exercise physiology and i paid attention fairly well in class and i know i know enough that i can you know make conjecture and and, and i can yeah. read data
0: so yeah yeah no, no, i understand that you kind of made the the reference to being able to understand nutrition and i'm kind of the the opposite because i i'm doing a master's in, in nutrition but it's still uh, I, I can kind of read papers but not really understand them that well but it's definitely a fair point when you mentioned about the form because people who say don't necessarily understand i don't expect anybody to, or most people to, to understand physiology but they when they just think of volume they just all they're thinking about is sets but they don't think about sure. what's happening at a cellular level and that's what we're trying to achieve not trying to achieve sets we're trying to achieve ad- like a yeah, physiological tension adaptation. at
1: the fiber level is what we're yeah for yeah, sure so
0: like and and I put out the Instagram kind of question thing and asked some people about uh, some questions that they wanted to ask you and sure, one of them was sure like your, your your form so like you're you've got like I suppose when when I first started following RP like I don't know how long ago it was but any but you guys the most noticeable thing was like your your depth on some of your exercises like yeah, yeah. squats that squat so tell us a little bit about that it looks like your it looks like – I don't know what it looks like. It, just, it looks like you're one of those Asian people sitting down like collecting food or something. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Um, so more range of motion is probably better
1: uh, in most circumstances. The outside of injury, if somebody is injured, obviously, it's not a good idea to do that. Um, I just made a really cool post yesterday. I kind of got irritated by some things that some IFPB guys said. <laughs> so I put Come a on, little –
0: Name and shame. Name and shame. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I'll <laughs> we'll keep that to myself. Uh, so – yeah, uh, joints are made to go through those ranges of motion and the better your range of motion, the the more fibers or motor units you tend to recruit. Uh if you're going halfway down uh, on a squat, let's say, some of those fibers in like the upper lateral quad or something uh, of that nature, they're just not ever really fully being recruited. And uh we just think that going through a full range of motion, not only that, it call, it's a clear starting and stopping point, it's the easiest way to progress and track your volume, and it probably leads to the least amount of injuries, especially when you're talking about like leg training. Uh, shearing forces are actually uh, noted to be higher within like a quarter range of motion, uh, slightly less in a, in a parallel, but still pretty bad. And then all the way down, uh, you, you run into things like compressive and shearing forces start to uh, actually uh, flip kind of because they have this relationship. And you're actually safer. So it's better to sort of go through this full range of motion and it's safer to go through these full ranges of motion. And there's literature support that it helps to strengthen the uh, joint connective tissues in the area. So not only is it safer, but you recruit more motor units. You kind of get more out of the volume you're doing. It's easier to create that sort of uh, mind-muscle connection with that tension-fiber relationship that we want. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't really ever see a a point in time in which it's good to – Cut your depth, cut your range of motion on any exercise unless you have an injury or unless there's pain literally during the exercise. And all you have to do when that occurs is put somebody in a biomechanically advantageous position for their anthropometry. So if somebody – their hips, when they squat down, they feel weird. But then you look at their squat and, and like their whole life, they're like, I just can't squat. But then you look at their squat and it's like feet forward ass goes backwards there's no equal pressure in the toes their toes aren't pointed out their hips aren't even opening when they squat down etc et there's just so many things that you can fix like i um quinn hinnick this is a quote for quinn hinnick who's a sports physical therapist uh that i got to uh do an internship under when i did an internship with jts uh he said i have the worst income mobility he has ever seen So when people squat and they're like, oh, how do you get that mobility? I'm like, dude, you have no idea. My ankle mobility is complete shit. I have to wear an inch heel lift on my weightlifting shoes.
0: Wow. Like high heels.
1: (laughs) Yes, for sure. So it's like really assessing somebody's technique is first and foremost. And trying to get them into these fuller, deeper, better ranges of motion is the first thing that I'll do for sure. And – not only range of motion but just actually paying attention to technique and not just kind of moving weight around. So like you'll see somebody who like Pendley Rose and be like, how are these for bent rows? And it's like, great, great, great. And then they get to the, the navel and then they just drop the bar with, the, with it in their hands. Same thing with deadlifts.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're like, mm, I, there's, there's an entire contraction there that we're missing out on. It's called the eccentric phase. <laughs> yeah, I see that with um... – you know like there's a in the uk there's a big like following of uh jordan peters the big mm-hmm. he's a big unit like a ball of muscle like yeah, he train, yeah. he trains like kind of branch warren style kind of but like there's people who are like like my weight or like even lighter lighter than me smaller than me like natural guys and they're like they're doing like bent rows of like 140 kilos whatever that is in, in pounds and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> that's like yeah how, how are you doing a bent row with that i can barely like get, get like 90 kilos of good form and right. uh, yeah, I think it's just people yeah, have this idea. Their te- that, then you look at the yeah.
1: technique, and it's complete shit.
0: Yeah, it's just a complete eccentric, but a complete concentric. But do you think there's any benefit at all to to doing that? I, I guess we can't, we kind can't of have some research with the studies, right? So doing. So I heavier... think if there's
1: I think if there's benefit to it, uh, then uh the downfalls uh, far outweigh the benefits. Uh, I'm I'm yeah. fairly confident in saying there's probably no benefit in ever jerking weight around like that. I think it's kind of ignorant. Um, my it's a little myopic and, and short ended thinking. Um, and I just mean in general. I'm not saying that about anybody specific. I just mean in general. Yeah. This is a bad idea. Um, just the so injury. Yeah, th- the injury. Yeah, part. for sure. Very injurious. Yeah. And and, yeah, and and we know that research with like weightlifting, powerlifting versus uh, bodybuilding style training. We know that going heavier is more injurious. And if you can get more tension at the fiber level out of actually controlling the, the intensity the, the the controlling the range of motion controlling the easter concentric phase, why well, I don't understand why you wouldn't like if you could put five pounds on my back and tell me that I can get the same the same benefit of hypertrophy as opposed to four hundred then I would probably do that
0: <laughs> like,
1: yeah uh, I would probably do that I would not quarter squat four hundred and you know I could be doing one thirty five four range of motion
0: yeah yeah it's it's yeah, it's it's definitely more beneficial when you can, when you can actually engage the muscle properly with lighter weight. Absolutely. Um, do Do you do you kind of any prescribe any kind of uh tempos or, or like I suppose, like do you do you ever give people tempos like you know three zero one one? I remember like back in the day when I say back in the day, I mean like seven years ago. But like I when I did my first show, um, Matt Jansen actually was my coach. Funnily enough, it was uh-huh. like. He was up and coming, and he was really big on these like hold the contraction for two seconds. This one for one second. Right. This one's like four seconds. I'm sh- I'm sure his like idea, his like methodology has changed over time, but sure. um, you, there's a point I guess where you can go like too form heavy, where you're actually just like basically moving with like a weight that's so light that yeah, it's, yeah. like, What are you about? Yeah, sure. On? I th-
1: I think the uh, the temple thing was a really good idea that bodybuilders. Uh, back in the day thought of to standardize technique again that's another good reason for range of motion standardizing technique uh if anybody takes anything away from this podcast hopefully it is the word standardize your technique (laughs) um i I think that generally just telling somebody you know control the eccentric uh have a forceful concentric and If you'd like to squeeze the peak contraction at the top for a second, that's good. So that might look like bend over row is like touch the stomach. Oh, squeeze down slow. You can count to like two or three in your head. Light tap, back up, same thing, same thing, same thing, over and over. So um, there are oftentimes uh, for some exercises that I I notice people have really poor technique. I will put tempo – things next to them. So if I saw a client's technique, it was a straight leg deadlift and everything about their straight leg deadlift was beautiful, except that their eccentric was like completely uncontrolled. I'll be like, okay, here you go. This is what I want you to do. I want you to count to three in your head as you lower the bar on your eccentric phase. Mm-hmm. Um i don 't know if I would ever put like a one two one tempo thing like yeah. one squeeze two one, but I would definitely explain here 's what I would like you to do one two you know that 's just like a yeah. one two one is like a way of like coming up with a vernacular that tells people to do that so i 'm more of an explanatory person in in that sense like okay listen we we need to squeeze this peak contraction for a second and we need to uh lower the bar for three seconds.
0: Yeah, I think if you if you if you put a number on it and it's different throughout the session, I think people can focus too much on on counting the number in their head rather than Absolutely. focusing on the actual set. Um, yeah. So to jump just to, before we jump into just a few quick questions from uh, from, from uh, people, followers or whatever, I want to ask you and uh, ask this to Jackson Pios as well. I don't know if you know him, but uh, yeah, yeah. Do you think training is any like training should be any different for enhanced uh, lifters versus natural? No. <laughs> at, not, no, not at, at all. all.
1: No, I think that uh, your your recovery capabilities goes up, which means you have an even larger range between your minimum effective volume and maximum recoverable volume. Um, I think the second somebody goes enhanced, uh, one of the things you have to be very, very, very weary of is trying to go too heavy too soon because you get stronger. Um,
0: Joints and shit,
1: yeah. Correct, yeah, connective tissues. Um. I will say this. Okay, I'm not going to say no entirely. That was a abs- bad absolute, I guess. Because there are these little nuances that people don't understand or know of. So I'm going to tell people this because it's something that I used to coach enhance people and didn't really have a good understanding of this until I, I do now. There are little things like this that always occur. Okay, There have been points and times when I will have a lower back pump so bad that if you told me to get under a bar and squat, I would die. I would fall the fuck over and die. And I'm talking about like just from walking to the gym to get my session started. So there are things like that that uh, – If you put an enhanced guy in a massing phase and he's on, like, a lot of shit and he's just super heavy and you say, all right, you need to do five top sets of squats and then two down sets of squats, that dude is getting through one set of squats before he gives the fuck up. So you still need to make sure that the range of motion is very, very good, but there are often times where you're going to have to swap out exercises because they literally just cannot systemically load their back that way. It's just impossible. So there are very small things like that that you could change. But as far as like set progression algorithms and uh, intensity versus volume, it's all the same. Uh, yeah. Muscle growth occurs the same way physiologically. It's just it's occurring at a super physiological rate when you in, implement yeah. these uh, f- pharmaceuticals. So it's
0: – yeah. Do do any of the pharmaceuticals um, elongate the muscle protein synthesis effect of training? What do you mean? like uh so when we train like a muscle we have like local muscle protein synthesis is heightened for right. say 48 hours or maybe sure. a bit longer but it yeah do... that's,
1: that's probably a, a part of the uh steroids uh decrease uh, or they they increase your recovery capabilities right so that's probably yeah. part of it yeah
0: it, it, it's yeah. pretty interesting
1: um it is it's really cool and if anyone's want, because this is obviously like a probably was like a natural bodybuilding podcast
0: yeah <laughs> so we hate about that we stuff. hate it non-naughties is... right
1: fuck them fuck these guys <laughs> we're uh... gonna
0: march we're actually gonna have a march march protest <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh man um but yeah if anybody
1: is interested in learning about this stuff like i was i was interested in it uh even as a, a natural guy uh, just to learn about it because it's very cool to look at things at a super physiological level like uh even just in medicine um you know like the way uh, depression medication works and anxiety medication is super interesting uh it's the same thing with like sports and performance i was very interested in and how uh making great athletes better and then like what are some athletes that did you know did the bad thing and how crazy and how much did they get out of that so somebody i learned from was Broderick chavez and he has a team evil gsp website he does instagram lives all the time he's he's probably one of the smartest men i've ever met in my life uh uh, background in biochemistry and stuff like that it's super interesting
0: mm. yeah yeah i've heard of him but i i don't really find <laughs> him that much but definitely yeah I've, I've heard that he's a good a good uh yeah, a good yeah guy for to for sure to.
1: and even if you're not interested in anabolic he's just a good guy to go to is for like how these how these uh interactions occur at the physiological level mm. and just learning about biology like he's so good at that stuff
0: mm all right, so quick fire Q and A. I'll keep it short. I'll just a- sure. ask three questions. But uh, yeah, yeah. What's 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 your uh, va- what's your opinion on the value of a training partner when training? Oh versus man, versus training that's good, alone.
1: That's a good question. Um, I think the training partners. Man, I think they're really they're really good. They're really beneficial. Um, not only do you have yourself. So, like, let's take someone for like me and Mike Isertel, uh for example. We're on the the same page. Um. When we train, so when my technique, he knows what my technique looks like. And when if I lie to myself about a rep, that motherfucker's not gonna lie to me, lie to me for me. He's gonna be like, hey, that one looked like shit. Like fix this small thing. Um, And when you get into those deeper weeks of the mesocycle, especially when you're in prep, especially in prep, uh, training partners are fantastic. Um, It's very hard to push yourself, and having someone there to not let you kind of pussyfoot around and, and lie to yourself that you're actually training. The way you should it is good uh, because we have all these metrics and uh, quantitative um, reasons for like what we're doing and sets and yada, yada. It's easy to track that stuff ourselves and just go into the gym and have – and get a good session. And so you know, if you're somebody who's in a rush and you don't really care for training partners, you don't need one. Uh, I think if you're an advanced level bodybuilder or intermediate level bodybuilder and you want to take shit really, really serious, a training partner has its merits. And uh, so does training in a corporate gym and not just in your garage by yourself
0: yeah no i think uh i think with the caveat there though that the training partner is somebody who's like into the same type of training as you like they're, they're they take yeah, it seriously yeah. like I, I my girlfriend always wants to train with me and i just can't do it um <laughs> I, just, I just gotta say no i can't like e- even if she's doing a similar training program but i haven't had a proper training partner since i was like 17 which is like 10 yeah. more than 10 years ago like 10 years ago and that was like he, he, this guy was like 30 something and he was like a uh you know uh, a body like a polish guy with he's a big juiced up guy and he used to push me like really really hard and uh it was awesome made really good progress but i just haven't been able to find somebody that works on the same schedule that you know lives near me trains the same gym but yeah that's my kind of opinion
1: yeah yeah and and another thing to that point because you know you you just made me think of this um when you have a training partner that's that doesn't mean you're doing the same fucking shit man (laughs) if you have similar well quote unquote splits like mike is uh five six two fifty you know i am five ten two twenty his back is two times bigger than mine we're not doing the same fucking volume we're not doing the same split for our back so what a training partner is is someone that can like go to the gym with you you guys have similar stuff uh you could you could find someone with your similar metrics to you um but yeah, if you are doing the same thing, the same weight, the same blah, blah blah blah, that's not that's just idiotic. I don't know what that is. I, but that's like the, what people think about when they think of training partners. Like, yeah, we're gonna go crush legs today. We're all
0: gonna do yeah. squats. We're all gonna well, do. Well, that's pretty and that's you, pretty normal. That's what people do. Right. right. And
1: you can do that. And like, if you all fall in the same similar like like let's say everyone's doing like push pull legs. You have some lateral delts, biceps, triceps, all the small muscles sprinkled in your program wherever it may be. Um, and you you could all definitely do similar exercises if they're working for you. I wouldn't do that just because your training partner is. But – so like if you guys both have squats that day, you both have leg press that day, um, you would just need to modify the volume to what your volume landmarks are and then you can do it. So your training partner for that day might actually only have – and this is kind of how me and Mike do it because we do similar exercises. We we like uh, – similar exercises work for both of us and we do – we like a lot of the same ones. So maybe he has – because his squads are huge – uh, he has to do for his MEV, like, uh, let's say four sets that day. I might only do three and then I wait for him to get his four set done. We move on to the next exercise, but it's, it's cool. Cause there are people, you can definitely do that. Um, yeah. but it's definitely harder. Like you said, with your girlfriend, cause she's probably training like upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, because she recovers a little faster than you do. And she can't do as much volume in a single session. So you're not even on the same days half the time. And she's like over by the chest chest stuff you know doing whatever and you're doing legs in the corner like with animal pack gear on
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes she's not quite a bodybuilder yeah that's why i think uh that's why it would be like good to have like a tinder where you like upload your your set you like your your workout sessions and your your program and then you like match with somebody to find a training partner (laughs) that's fucking hilarious
1: dude that's that's Um, actually that's a brilliant idea and you should probably invent that before i do
0: yeah
1: (laughs) um (laughs) Oh, okay, that's funny.
0: S- second, next question is uh, before you train, before you do a hard set or a top set, do you prefer to be calm or do you psych yourself up? Oh, uh, I have a really
1: good post on psychological arousal and when to use it. I think that earlier on in the, in the Mesa Cycle, especially training like MEV, your main focus, and this is most of the time, should be on perfecting your technique, standardizing your technique, making sure that you're feeling that muscle the way you're supposed to feel it. And if you get into the final week of your training block and you're pretty fatigued, you're with a training partner, you are kind of run down a little bit, you've taken like the max dose of caffeine that you should, and you're just in the gym and you're kind of down, it's time to get to to fucking work. It's time to psych yourself up. And um, yeah, man, I've had to do that uh, as of recent, especially during preps and during like the last little bit of dieting phases. I'll definitely have to go to some some, uh, (laughs) – Some extreme places in my training where I'm kind of psyching myself up big time. But How do you I think do that? Co- constantly doing that is a is a bad idea, yeah. and it leads it leads to uh, overreaching a little too early. It can lead to a lot of fatigue that you unnecessary fatigue that you don't need. Like if you got to psych yourself up every time you go into the gym, do you even like training? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you enjoying it, or you just enjoy like this mental arousal that you get out of it?
0: yeah like a massive masochist you'd feel yeah, like uh you'd feel like mentally fucked after every session because your your nerv- nervous system is so turned on yeah especially with like
1: the psychological arousal that you generally think of like somebody getting angry before a set or like kind of going to some weird place and you're like oh shit what's wrong with you you want to do that all the time like <laughs> i'd yeah. like to be happy i don't know
0: i don't know if you guys yeah i know a guy who does power a guy who he, like i haven't seen him in a while but he would always smash his head off the bar but it would nearly always bleed when he just, yeah, it's like,
1: see, it's like, all right, man, that's cool. Why don't you just do a better squat with good technique and <laughs> and not do that all the time?
0: Yeah. Okay. Final question. We kind of really touched on this one already, but how big do you think you can get naturally? And I, when I say you, I mean people in general. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, I mean that's such a genetic variant yeah. that I, I I I can't really attest to it, but I can I can attest. So I can I can touch on this point. Uh, it's an asymptotic relationship. The quote unquote. Um, what is it what do people call it the natural limit um, there's no natural limit <laughs> uh, you will slowly gain muscle as long as you are progressing and training correctly for the rest of your life uh, be, only because you're only going to live to a certain age there's probably like a cut off like let's say we we could live to be 100 if this if these biological processes work the exact same way yeah you're not going to gain muscle all the way to your 100 um, but I, I you you can gain muscle as an older athlete for sure um, and your propensity for muscle growth is just different than everybody else's so I, I can't sit here and tell you that everybody in their first year of training is going to gain 10 pounds of muscle because this is not the yeah. case some people gain 20 like I did some people gain 5 Um, mm-hmm. it just depends on your genetics and that first year of training is a pretty good proxy for how good you're going to or not how good but how, how much muscle you're going to be able to put on throughout your career so if somebody has a less than you know, extreme response, and it's more of an average response. And most people have average responses because that's what an average is. Uh, like let's say somebody puts on eight pounds of muscle in their first year, they, they're gonna they're gonna be able to put on muscle pretty well for their entire training career, and they're gonna uh, enjoy it. Uh, somebody who's you know is a little below average, it's uh that first year of training. You you recognize that? It's like you know, I don't think it's a good idea to give up, and I think you should keep pushing. <laughs> uh, I think you should continue putting on muscle, and if you want to look good naked, then damn, look good naked, man.
0: Yeah, no, no, that makes complete sense. Um, I was trying to conceptualize how much genetics play a role, but you can't really God, put, a nu- the most. You, you can't put a number on it, though, because it's… <laughs> sure, it's, yeah. It's, it's genetics are the parts. biggest
1: factor in any of this, man. Like, it's like yeah. not only… So, like, let's say that guy who gained 20 pounds, like myself, okay, let's say that. I gained 20 pounds of muscle, something like that in my first year of, of training. I went from 115 pounds to 165 pounds, and I had abs the whole time. Um… That probably is a pretty good proxy for your response in general. Um, So I'm just going to respond better to uh, like a certain type of curl than somebody else would. I'm going to get more muscle in whatever areas. And that same thing goes for like weak and strong points. Like my calves grow if I do one set. Fuck, my calves probably grow if I walk to the gym. Some other guys might have really good genetics everywhere else, but their calves have a hard time growing. So it's like – Yeah, so –
0: yeah, but yeah, that, that's interesting because like, it's like dude, some people have better genetics in some body parts, and yeah, they for sure, have, like, yeah, it's just that those who are at the elite level have bet, the best genetics in every area. It's kind of like the best important. genetics
1: in enough areas that you can tell there's they're going to be really good at bodybuilding.
0: Yeah, because there are
1: bodybuilders that I that I know that have no calves at all, and they still yeah, do really well. Dexter low.
0: Jackson, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's interesting do you think that like genetics like if somebody has like good genetics initially when they begin that they're also going to respond to anabolics like really well as well or are they completely separate
1: that's a good question uh i think there's a there's a higher chance of it yes definitely a higher chance
0: yeah so like for example like somebody who's like top top 10 natural pro in the world and right, then they use yeah. gear and they're just like a shit pro pro but they are not even make it in the pros in, in npc um, yeah. but or or vice versa someone's like a, a really shit natural pro or they're not even a natural pro but then they take gear and they just blo- balloon up i don't know it's, it's interesting to think about
1: yeah there's like just so much nuance behind that question man that it's hard to say because there are so many different types of compounds and derivatives of these compounds and to say somebody's just a shit responder because they took a similar dose to somebody else that maybe they could have just taken a different compound. and got a better response out of it. There's just a lot of shit that goes into that. Like anybody's a good responder to farm. If they take enough, anybody's a good responder to farm. If you realize that somebody has shit genetics, they were always naturally skinny and you put them on like a 19 or derivative, they're just going to get puffy and balloony and they're going to gain a lot of weight. It's just going to happen. So the, that in itself, it's like, what do you want to take? How are you going to take it? You need a coach for this stuff half the time i'm going to tell people don't do this It's ridiculous I don't know why you'd want to do it like outside of like if you're insecure about yourself and you feel like you've tried everything, I'd still say like consult with an expert and try to do it naturally, but like I could see how someone's like you know oh, i want to, i want to take I want to take drugs and I'm like, why." And they're like, well, you know, I've just always been that that chubbier kid, and I just I, I feel like I want to look really good naked, and I want to, you know, get a girlfriend or whatever. And it's like, okay, all right, that makes sense. It's your decision, and I like you said, with uh, there's nothing morally wrong about that if it's legal yeah. where you are, and you and you feel like it's something you want to do because you want to feel better about yourself. I mean, like, why 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 do we buy new clothes? Why do we buy new shoes? Why do yada yada yada? You know what I mean? So it's like, sure, For, try it.
0: Yeah gotcha yeah. it's probably more effective to invest that money into like a pickup pickup coach or something like that to, to help you approach women.
1: 100, 100% <laughs>
0: dude 100% so, so thanks for coming on Jared what are the plans for you bodybuilding wise over the next uh, couple of years
1: yeah so I've taken this last year off because I was I'm moving from the classic physique class hopefully you can hear me there's a guy outside yeah, my yeah. window can you hear the lawnmower
0: yeah it's good though that's good
1: okay it's good. cool damn it guy oh Yeah, so I took this last year off and I'm taking one more year off because I'm moving from Classic Physique to open. The Classic Physique cutoff for my height was like uh, 205 and I I had to use like a sauna to get down there and because I don't know enough about the peaking process behind a uh, farm-based strategy, it's like the recompartmentalization of fluids after you get in a sauna, it's like, dude, I have no idea what to do about that. So I don't want to ever have to do that again (laughs) Um, and – I've gained probably 10 more pounds of muscle this last year, and I plan on gaining another five to eight, so that way I can move into the uh, either heavyweight or super heavyweight bodybuilding category, and I'll compete in, this is the first time I said this out loud probably, I'll compete in June or July of next year.
0: Is that going to be like a local show and then shooting for like nationals or or Americans? so I'm
1: nationally qualified. My first run in the NPC, I became nationally qualified, and I don't know if they're going to honor that also in two years because of this coronavirus uh, shit. But uh, they might. So if they do, I'm just going to go straight to the national level. But if they don't, I'm going to be doing a show with a lot of my training partners and friends from San Antonio that I met because they all just kind of want to compete together, be a good time. And we want to bring that car- camaraderie that natural bodybuilding has. We're trying to bring that to the NPC too. It's like, why are
0: you all such like, st- stuck
1: up assholes backstage? Like, stop being so angry.
0: <laughs> yeah. In nationals, uh, nationals the weight class winner wins a pro card, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, so
0: what weight class are you being then? Is soup, uh, light it, heavy? it depends.
1: It depends on like uh, there are just a lot of factors <laughs> that go that go yeah. into it. Um, I, sh- if I were to put a number on it now, I'll be I'll be at the top of the heavyweight class um, yeah. if I'm bone dry and shredded.
0: Yeah, there's some big boys in nationals. Uh, I, I yeah, fo- yeah. used to follow that a lot in muscular development yeah it's
1: very interesting man there there are some freaks out there they come from nowhere too hopefully yeah. I'm one of those freaks eventually
0: <laughs> yeah anyway man th- thanks so much for, for coming on where can Dude, people absolutely. find more about yourself Um.
1: yeah I mostly post on Instagram I don't get on Facebook too much but I don't all my shit is just Jared Feather so I'm starting my YouTube back up for a massing series because people have been, been requesting that just type in Jared Feather uh, Instagram just type in Jared Feather Basically, just type in Jared Feather, you'll find me. Yeah, <laughs> um, Renaissance periodization website. We have some articles, we have some books, a lot of good stuff. And then, yeah, that's really it.